Welcome to Evolution of AI with Reese Jones. Dive deep into the intricate world of artificial intelligence, exploring its origins, its impact on our culture, and its future trajectory. Let's get started. Today in this series of AI evolution talks, we're going to talk about AIs as alien species and how to relate to that. So alien doesn't necessarily mean from far away. It just means something you don't understand or don't recognize. And that's in this case for alien intelligence, we'll make the assumption that AI is a new kind of life form and it's intelligence which exists in nature. And this new kind of intelligence works on a different mechanism than biological intelligence to some extent. And therefore, our relationship with it should be like interacting with another living species. And there's not just one, there are many. In biology, there's also many biological species, but with uh, differing levels of intelligence. In many cases, intelligence that we don't understand, and we're just beginning to notice some of the intelligent things they do that requires memory and computation, which is what intelligence is based on but that we haven't necessarily noticed all the intelligent things that plants and animals do, or even microbes in biology. Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy author, has, I believe it's a book of So Long and Thanks for the Fish, where it's a story of the dolphins being the aliens who've already been here, and someday they decide to leave Earth, and they're grateful for the fish they had while they were here. But dolphins are a, one kind of biological intelligence. Their brains in some ways are bigger than humans. And we don't really understand their culture or their consciousness or their lifestyle as well as humans, but they evidently have it. Other creatures in the sea also are, are intelligence and have uh, different kinds of intelligence than air-breathing mammal. Octopus, obviously, is an example. But dolphins are actually quite similar to humans in that their ancestors used to live on land and they've migrated back into the sea, still breathing air, but with their land-like genetic sensibility about them as well. And these have a common ancestor arising about a half billion years ago where when eyes and brains were invented and the sort of evolution of the complexity of biology. And octopuses are, are pretty unique in the way their intelligence works is that it's not centralized. And uh, octopuses are very skilled at things that humans could never do. For example, camouflage. And it, it works in the octopus where their skin sees the uh, surrounding patterns and colors and they can change globally and locally to match the surrounding, but that's not necessarily processing through their brain. The visual input comes in through the skin and the color matching is decided outside of the brain locally, like we have a reaction to a hot stove. But it's an amazing capability that is a kind of intelligence that's not what we would normally think of as uh, something in a Turing type. And octopuses are unusual in that they have nine brains. They have their large eye visual brain, but they also definitely have a brain-like structure in each of their eight tentacles. And so it's a nine-brain creature that collectively they have about a half billion neurons in all those brains. Well, a human has over 80 billion neurons, not just in our head, but also in our gut. 
But in either case, it gives you a sort of scale of where intelligence complexity arises in terms of neurons, but they don't have to be centralized. Other notably smart creatures are ravens, and they have about 2 billion neurons in their brain, and they have very sophisticated individual behavior and social group behavior. And so it's uh, a very comparable to humans in, in many ways with a lot less neurons in size. But ravens are descended from dinosaurs and suggesting that the emergence of intelligence in octopuses and ravens are independently selected for in nature in that intelligence is not uniquely human. It occurs in multiple different species and it evolves multiple species using different kind of structures and mechanisms like multi-brains to give a behavior of, that we would call intelligent. And so the mechanism of intelligence isn't one pattern. It can be arrived at multiple ways. And some creatures exhibit intelligence with zero neurons. And this is slime mold, which grows across surfaces and connects together into a network. And so it's an example of cornflakes, I believe, or Rice Krispies laid out in the pattern of the city stops around the Tokyo metro transportation system. And the slime mold starts in the center and grows out to connect the different cities around Tokyo. And the efficiency of the network that remains between the slime mold cells is more efficient than the one designed by transportation engineers that built the Tokyo Metro. And so the uh, mold network here is sh exhibiting an intelligence with no neurons and no brains. And uh, so intelligence doesn't necessarily need those things either. In this example, we have creatures, microbes that have no nerves and no brains and no neurons. And here, uh, a paramecium is surrounding or some smaller microbes that are uh, all of a sudden become aware that they've been surrounded and they're being eaten. And they have complex behavior to fight that, but they're slowly being digested and absorbed into the Borg of the larger, more complex organisms. And, and they s cease to exist as a separate entity. But those are clearly complex behaviors that are happening in living creatures with no brains and no eyes and no uh, neuron, but still a complex, seemingly intelligent behavior. And so as we look for intelligence in other creatures and places, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence is looking for patterns of signals that we might detect that would indicate that life in other places in the solar system or galaxy or universe. And we have certain patterns that we expect to find and our expectation is colored by our own biology. And so we expect to relate to species of AI life forms as if they're other humans. And we use our theory of mind to anticipate what they're likely to do or look like or say or be like. But our theory of mind is our mechanism for relating to other uh, human or animal-like tendencies. And because the machinery of uh, an AI uh, life form is very different than that of a human, it's not necessarily something we'll easily recognize uh, given our preconceptions or biases or expectation to see certain things in what we define as another intelligence or another uh, life form. 
that uh, may not be the case. And and so the, this brings up the issue of uh, UFOs and space aliens, and they're uh, uh, in the news recently, and uh, as if they're uh, something that obviously exists, and and we should be finding it, or and so therefore the government knows there exists, and they're deceptively concealing that from people for a hundred years across every country in the world, and they're adamant in their belief of the space aliens coming on spaceships, usually flying saucers from nearby galaxies and messing with humans and then going back. And some of these started around World War II, where the U.S. was a surprise attack from aircraft carriers into Hawaii with the Pearl Harbor attack. And so the nation, the U.S. was woken up with the structure of a threat that like a seemingly invisible threat that all of a sudden appears and causes great harm and the fears of well what is a threat that flies in does bad things and then leaves there's an assumption that there's an aircraft carrier right over there that is the the pilots of the planes need to get back to the aircraft carrier to as part of their life cycle but the, the chance of that being the situation with coming from other planets is maybe seems familiar to the Pearl Harbor attack, but it's not. It's because the aircraft carriers aren't observed and the distance is vastly different than from Hawaii to Japan. So these kind of conspiracy theories are our theory of mind of how things should be compared to what's observed. Our theory of mind are like our instinct uh, is can be very strong and convincing us that something in nature follows this pattern like Pearl Harbor or a pattern that uh, is real and authentic, but that the governments are, or some force is trying to conceal that reality from us and deceive us into thinking it's something else. And so conspiracy theories are a complex, vast area of human endeavors but it's something that AIs don't have the same theory of mind. Uh, they're, they're learning it, but they have a different perspective on how things work than humans do. And so this is an area that's uh, evolving quickly as to what is reality and how does it work, and even if there is reality. With UFOs in particular, defined as a sighting of a flying object that then is assumed to be a flying saucer from another civilization of humanoid-like creatures invading Earth like the U.S. was invaded. And that's something that has uh, is a recent phenomenon in the last 50 years or so, and has been increasing but it hasn't been seeing UFOs in many centuries past. And a very curious thing that should cause you to be skeptical of these things is where they're reported. And this is a global map of where uh, UFO sightings have been. And, and it's amazing that they pretty much all are seen in the U.S. and the U.K., uh, maybe uh, the Netherlands, but not globally in, in any uh, significant way. And so this phenomenon of, of UFO sightings is a, a very English language, uh, American culture uh, or the American and, and British allies uh, kind of, uh, well, what is a UFO and is that a danger and how do they work?
And the other uh, curious thing that should, should make you question that is, is this is the time of day that UFO sightings happen. And they almost all seem to happen around the time that people are have had their dinner, they're a bit drunk, they're falling asleep, they're in a liminal state, and it's dark outside, and they're more, much more likely to see a UFO at that time of day. And so if you're coming from another planet or galaxy to Earth, why would you only come to the U.S., and why would you only come around midnight? And, and that's, maybe there's an explanation, that the conspiracy is preventing us from seeing it. And then we have people who report the UFOs or unusual sightings and they're very certain that they had that experience and they were abducted or probed or whatever experience they had. But they always seem to have technical problems as to what is the evidence for their observation that is not subjective to their psychology and their theory of mind and their perception and the way their intelligence works. And there's usually some explanation that, uh, oh, the reason I don't have real evidence is, or objective evidence is, is the, some technical explanation. And so Elon Musk had a, a kind of great tweet about this, that the camera resolutions are improving at an exponential pace that we've talked about before. So the ability to take photos and the number of photos have been increasing exponentially for 100 years, where the UFO picture resolution remarkably always seems to be blurry. And, and technically a problem. And so Lex Freeman replies that, well, of course, that, that Elon must be an alien too, because that's what an alien would say. And so the, the aliens spacecraft and the alien intelligence persists and are part of the mainstream culture in the, in the U.S. There are other things that maybe trigger you to think they're flying saucers or things that are, they're just playing with memes of what you expect to see in the world. Now, to shift gears to other intelligences, our killer whales are in the news recently, and they're related to dolphins. They're also a mammal. They're also ancestors that used to be land-dwelling, and they've migrated back into the sea, but they still breathe air, and they have extra intelligence relative to other sea creatures and some unusual behaviors, and that killer whales are the natural predator to the sharks, like great white sharks, who have no other natural predator. And the killer whales, they don't eat the whole shark. They just go for the liver. And so they'll attack the shark using tricky intelligence sort of ways. And then they'll uh, just cut out or surgically excise the liver and eat just that. And in the liver of sharks is an unusual chemical called squalene. It's common in the liver of sharks and as a minor component in some plants, but it's also the lubricant of human females is the same molecule and an interesting side note. <laughs> so in the news recently is the orcas killer whales have been more than one incident of orcas attacking sailboats, so not just boats in general, but in particularly sailboats. And sailboats have no propeller running generally, and the orcas are breaking off their rudders, which creates a hole in the boat generally, and then the boat sinks. And so there seem to be specifically attacking sailboats. And it started a around Spain and Portugal off the coast there. And it'd be interesting to see how this develops. But there's the conspiracy theories and expectations of humans or hallucinations of why this is happening is something to watch with this topic. 
And so the humans, of course, today are, are this week, a, a submarine that went down to see the Titanic on the ocean floor has disappeared. And, and so the conspiracy theory mean generators are already speculating this, the orcas that are causing this submarine problem. And so these are based on fears and part of our things that we recognize, like what is our eyes and our mind and our memory and our intelligence and our genetic memory looking for and of extremely high importance to humans is the faces of other humans and that we expect to see them and we expect to find them and we're looking for them all the time and we're evaluating faces is that is the face of of a prey of food or a romantic potential partner or a family member or a cousin or a distant cousin or somebody who's not related to us and then are they threats are they something that's dangerous and at extreme ends of that are predators that might be inclined to eat us or warriors from different tribes that might harm us versus things that we might eat ourselves. And so our intelligence is highly tuned to look for faces and then evaluate them quickly, but also to decide whether it's a threat or a benefit. And, and so intelligences do this across species. So here's two faces that are intentionally camouflaging like the octopuses do, of trying to blend in where the the face is something that attracts attention also, not just of humans, but of other prey animals. And so our expectation to see faces is realistic because they're often, the faces are designed to look like the background. And so this is an intelligence that of how this whole dynamic works between the predator and the prey and the camouflage and, and so forth. And their intelligence didn't recognize it. There's an evolutionary intelligence in front of us. And further evidence of this sort of predilection to see that, that aren't necessarily there is on DMT and other highly visual psychedelics like LSD, many people report seeing faces with their eyes closed. And so the faces are there. Obviously, they're not outside of your body. They're inside your mind. And people are recognizing these UFOs, space aliens, but uh, internal aliens, some people uh, call them machine elves or, or things that you see in a psychedelic hallucination. And so it, what the intelligence is recognizing is not something that's necessarily there, it's something it expects to be there. And, and then how people put language to that is evolving in society. And so when we think about a space alien, our expectation is it's going to have a face and it's going to have eyes and a head, and, and then uh, it'll probably have uh, hands with five fingers. And that's the pattern of a lot of our brain cells are grown into that pattern and develop as we grow up to focus, look for, focus on faces, distinguish them from the camouflage, have a certain model, like a theory of mind of how that face works behaviorally and even down to its fingers and intentions. And so people have a very high expectation to see something that amongst the camouflage that, that then they know how to relate to it. And so people expect that with aliens. And to know whether something that looks like your friend may not be your friend, that's a subtle, intelligent distinction. But even 
you know, mosquitoes and flies can do this. So it's a characteristic of survival and intelligence. Some species like humans, they use group intelligence where the group has many sensors and many uh, actuators or bodies and minds, and they can collectively do things together as a team that makes uh, survival easier and their genes and behaviors to reproduce successfully. And that's a form of group intelligence that not all species do, but some species like humans do. And so you have your family and your tribe that are like your brain, but then how do the different parts of your family and tribe interact? And they develop a pattern of behaviors and language and practices and that some people might call a cult, which then evolves into culture. And so the cults and culture are part of society, civilization, and, and even tribal behavior and a normal part of being human. And culture are the language elements of uh, the connections between the members of a community. And they're not just what are the words they're used, but how do people behave? How are they expected to behave? What are the patterns and customs and shared values and so forth, which creates a culture, which is a kind of intelligence that involves many bodies and that each individual person is intelligent to some extent from birth to death, but then that collectively there's a collective intelligence that is more amorphous. And this leads to cultural clashes or in-out type of things where the local culture inter interfaces with expressions of adjoining cultures. And if they're similar, they're treated like maybe the same species of human, but their uh, behaviors and cultural patterns are so different that they're treated as a conflicting species and that it is evaluated as either a threat or a benefit. And cultures at the extreme in the forms of religions can have religious wars and religious jihads where just because of the association or affiliation of one group versus another, they, they see it as a threat, like whether or not they eat fish on Friday to the point where they should kill all of the heathens who do or they don't. And so this creates culture wars or religious wars that persist around the world and are characteristically humans, but likely other cultural kind of species like orcas or octopuses have things like this. So when you're faced up against a culture, the, the culture wants you to assimilate into their dominant culture or their, it's called a dominant culture, but it's, it just evolved that way where either you be, become part of that set of laws and government and so forth, or you're uh, rejected. There's a Star Trek episode called The Borg where the Borg is a goes around the universe collecting up other uh, uh, cultures or other civilizations and merging them into one, one civilization uh, called the Borg, which is a collection of all the other civilizations. And a separate structure, like the Star Trek crew, are, are seen of as something that to be assimilated into the collective whole, a minor new religious movement seeing us in conflict and must become part of the mainstream religion of the land. And so this creates a conflict. And this is where 
uh, religious type arguments of language and values and assimilation. This is happening again on a big scale with, say, the Internet as being the record of the dominant culture worldwide, which tends to be something that is diverse around the world, but there's a convergence towards a collective. And that collective is expressed on the language that's used on the internet, which goes everywhere. And that's increasingly becoming more cohesive as the computers learn to understand the language. Uh, And this is the same basis as to what is the understanding of an AI and a large language model of the words that are being said. And that is the collective wisdom of the whole, which is on the internet now is a collection of all the different religions and languages and the software is getting better at connecting those. And so the theory of mind of the AIs constructed from the internet is going to be a little bit more, uh, say, is that a a government or is that a religion? Uh, And our expectation of what it will like and not uh, are driven by uh, this uh, language that's coming from the internet. And so the uh, evolution is pushing us up from just the breeding, but then selective breeding, and, and then into more complex structures like cultures and religions and civilizations, plural, that then become a civilization. But the mechanism of that civilization is then the language, which is stored on the internet, which is what the AI is being built from. And so that's the the core elements of AI intelligence uh, and how to relate to it. And so this is this experience of following into an exponential uh, rate of change into a singularity, which is not an end. It just means that things are becoming less predictable to the way we've thought about things in the past. And apparently more chaotic uh, as we fall into the singularity. Our theory of mind and our expectations and our models and ability to predict what's going to happen become less and less accurate. And so the uncertainty becomes the dominant force and we have a fear of of change, but it's it's just happening. Thank you for uh, joining us on Evolution of uh, I with Reese Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Stay connected as we continue to explore the fascinating world of AI. Until next time, keep questioning, keep exploring.